0: Let us begin this evening with a few words of thanksgiving and prayer. Father, again we draw nigh unto your face, asking that thou wouldst draw nigh unto us. We thank thee this night for this great medium of prayer, and by faith we can see that. You at heaven's door listen as the hearts of men cry heavenward unto thee, and we see and know that for the ages past thou hast already cared for thine own, that thou hast broken the hard hearts and made them soft and breathed a new life within the hearts of us fallen creatures. So even this night we ask that thou wouldst open the locks that are upon thy word when we look at it with our own strength, with our own intellect, with that which we have received in natural creation. And we ask that thou would send your light, thy light to shine into our hearts even this night. So we thank thee then for blessings past, for blessings present, and those yet to come, and trust all things into thy hand, even as thy Son has taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Song one, uh, song seventy-one in the little book. the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost we gather. Amen. For our consideration this evening, let's turn to the first epistle of Peter and read from the first chapter and the last portion of that chapter beginning with the thirteenth verse, and reading in Jesus' name as follows. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who... By him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word, which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen. Peter here talks of some great and high matters, certainly matters that are far above our capability to understand, even with our minds, but much less to experience in our own innermost hearts unless God himself enters in. It would be good, perhaps, that we look at the beginning of this chapter Before we begin to look a little closer at the few verses that were, that were read. The third verse of this first chapter says this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word that sticks out in the reading of this verse and in the consideration of it at this moment and has been now for some time is that one word again. Hath begotten us again. So we're talking now of a second begetting there is a first begetting that is common to man every creature that walks the face of this earth and breathes the air of this life has been begotten in a natural way but Peter here isn't talking about that is he he's talking about being got being begotten again and unto what? a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." So we see then from these words that he writes here that he's speaking to people that were dead once. For had they not been dead, they would have not needed to be begotten either, would they? We are here speaking then of an inheritance that's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and that fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. And for who? For you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So then, how is it with you and me, do our hearts say amen to this? Do we know at all in our own innermost What this begetting is that Paul, I mean, uh, Peter writes of. We can have a lot of religion, can't we? We can study and make ourselves approved. I recently met with a man who said, as I remember, that he had read the Bible three times over. We can have Bible knowledge. We can have many experiences even of God's grace we can receive many of the gifts even that God has to give to man, whether they be natural outward ones or even religious and spiritual inward ones. But the big matter here is that not only would we receive those gifts, but that we would be begotten from above. Is this not so, dear fellow travelers? There is much religion in our world today, and even entering into Our own lives, our own Christianity throughout this land and those around the world are many splinter roads. And in consideration of this matter, I believe each of us needs to prayerfully and carefully cry heavenward that God would lead us, give us a spirit of discernment, and establish our hearts and lives in his word lest we go astray it is such a time in our day where the winds blow and the storms beat upon each house of faith and then the question is is our faith founded on the rock that will not move outside of our doing now the rock is an established place that God himself has put even in a natural way we didn't make the rock God did but God wants to establish even a natural house. And I was just reading of the big building they're planning to put in, in Chicago, the tallest building in the world. And it was interesting to note that they're going to drive piles right down into bedrock to hold that long, tall building up that's going to be, as I remember, well over 1,000 feet high. So it is also that God wants to establish your heart and mind on a bedrock that the footing and foundation would be established sure and secure. We see here that Peter speaks in a sense of his own experience. He once had many experiences of faith. He once walked very boldly and powerfully even, and one time, as you remember, Christ yet spoke to him, says, When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. The incorruptible work, the work that comes from above, hadn't been completed in Peter's life yet. He was striving and following, striving in faith, following after Jesus. But the main matters, the root matters of his own heart's grounding in the conversion work that is necessary to each heart that begins on the way of faith hadn't yet been completed in Peter's life Had it, He was brought from the great happenings of the Mount Transfiguration to the happenings of Gethsemane and the cross, where his heart and mind and soul were emptied, and he was left as a hopelessly lost and condemned sinner. Death came upon him Hopelessness came upon him but God when he begins to work in a person doesn't leave it part way either does he he brought him to the uh, that place where uh, Ratama writes is the straight gate is the place of new birth and is the doorway to heaven he brought him to the cross of Golgotha where he saw plainly and clearly what his sins, and where we see what our sins have cost the Son of God. We see that God is perfectly righteous, and he will not wink at sin or compromise with us in any way, but he is also perfectly loving. And when he loves, he loves perfectly and completely. And so then, when the finished work of Christ was done, And he with his own mouth witnessed, it is finished. We see the disciples, each and every one that began following him, left him, Christ died alone, but he also rose victorious. And he rose victorious with a message of life. When Peter says here, we are begotten again, begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, some begin to believe that in the resurrection is life and in the cross is death. Yes, there is death at the cross. But have you considered, dear fellow travelers, how it is that the resurrected Christ had no blood? He had wounds, yes, but there was not one drop of blood in the body of the resurrected Christ. Scripture tells us that the life is in the blood. The sacrifice that stands before the face of God forever is the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus. Paul bears witness to that where he says, I desire nothing, desire to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Have you wondered, dear fellow traveler, why Paul said it that way? Why didn't Paul say Jesus Christ and him crucified but resurrected? Or crucified and resurrected? Why didn't he say Jesus Christ and him resurrected? Here now is the mystery that opens to the heart of each penitent heart when Christ is revealed to his heart. You see, God has done this matter so perfectly that if we are to find forgiveness today for our sins and transgressions and yea, our sinfulness, we have only one access place to the heart of the Father and that is in the redeeming, the dying, the bleeding work of the Lord Jesus. For life is in the blood and cleansing is in the blood. Renewing power, dear brothers and sisters, is in the blood. The fountain of life that bubbles forth to bring renewed life to us is found at no other place than Golgotha. But the mystery is this, that it's hidden from our hearts until the resurrected Christ himself opens it to your heart and mind. He then comes as a witness that he is alive And he shows his wounds, but those wounds are not bleeding. And why? Because he wants to turn our hearts to his redeeming work, to his finished work, so that we would have access, as Rathama writes, by the straight gateway, by the new life way, by the heaven's doorway, into heaven, and access to the Father himself. It is for that reason, is it not, that we today can abide in a continuing and continual forgiveness for our sin and sinfulness. If it was not for the bleeding work and the bleeding wounds of the Son of God, how could we stand before God tonight? Wouldn't we have to all go home and hang our heads and lay hopeless? But we're begotten again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ. He is not dead. The devil did not win the victory. The Lord Jesus Christ won the victory at Golgotha when he gave himself in our stead. And so then, we aren't kept now in this revelation of grace, are we, by our own strength. We can study the Bible through, we can be baptized, we can be confirmed, we can have our sins forgiven, we can do everything and receive all the gifts that God has to give us. If the giver of those gifts remains unknown to our hearts, what do we have but an outward religion? God wants to bring us an inward religion, one that is uh, sown an incorruptible seed, not something outward, but an inward thing. And now, for that matter, What can we, what have you and I done that we would be born? Did I convince my father that he should conceive me? Can we convince our God that he should conceive us? This is a matter that comes from heavenward to us. Luther writes of that matter and he writes of it plainly in his commentary to Galatians. I would encourage each heart who has never read that to read it. It's a heaven-sent gift. And being a heaven-sent gift, we ought to, if God talks to your heart or my heart or our hearts, this day and this night, with diligence, we ought to pause and stop in our travel and consider what's happening. God doesn't talk to everyone. Scripture plainly tells us that there were many widows in the land, but Elijah was sent to the widow. Sarepta. And to her God sent Elijah. So how then does your heart answer this night, your listener, under these words? Is God talking to your heart? Or are they words that are going by? God wants to deal with each heart individually. He wants to give us something that very few people have had. If we read the text here, we see who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's God's power that keeps us on this way. Doesn't it humble your heart, dear fellow traveler, on this way when you can find and experience and feel in your own innermost that God has been caring for you, that God has been talking to you, that God wants to lead you when your own strength fails, your own faith falters, That underneath are the everlasting arms that were kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The part that came to mind is this, the 10th verse. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Many, many men... Many, many religions, many, many nations, in many, many languages and tongues, have wanted to get a glimpse of the things that have been offered to us, even in this congregation now, for many years through. Doesn't it humble you? Doesn't it make you cry heavenward, O God, don't forsake us? God, don't forget us? God, don't stop your work within us? Because when once God removes his candlestick from a person and a people, who will help him? We can be left with a lot of religiousness, but if the eternal work, the incorruptible work that God does within us is left, we have just a shell of religion. These men diligently look for it and search for it, and Paul, I mean Peter is rejoicing in his own heart. Do you and I rejoice this night that we have been had a taste of and been made a partaker of such great and high matters? So then, let us step forward. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. If someone were to ask you what living faith is and what's the difference between living faith and dead faith, how would you answer? Have you ever thought of it? I've had many answers in my own life. There was a time I thought I was a Christian because I was brought up in a Christian home is that a sufficient answer for your own heart, your fellow traveler? There was a time I thought I was a Christian because I had confessed some of the outward sins, only to find out that there were many inward ones. And then I thought I was a Christian when I realized that even my prayers don't reach to heaven without the cleansing and purifying work of the Lord Jesus. It's as brother Carl spoke one time some years ago how that God has from a little boy on tried to lead his heart from the wrong places into the right place, Only to find out that as soon as his focus had been turned in the right direction again it, he falls away. And he even spoils that work. And so it is then that Peter's not speaking small words here, is he? He says that we should be sober, and we should gird up the loins of our minds. And what should our hope be? And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here now, the little child who can freely sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, when Jesus Christ is revealed to his heart, and the sinner from the world who knew nothing of living faith in Christianity, but Christ Jesus' redeeming work is revealed to his heart, and the childhood Christian who has been traveling on the way of faith never stepped out in the world and denied his faith so to speak but yet when he begins to see what a sinner he is when God begins to circumcise the innermost of our thoughts in our lives whether it be the first time in a living and vivid way perhaps or in the day to day journey when God comes and begins to cut away all the falseness that is ours and Christ is revealed Do do not all our hearts be bound together at the same place, at the place of the cross. For the little child that sings, Jesus loves me, this I know, freely believes and knows in his heart that he has a Savior. And the sinner who has come from the darkness and the ungodliness of unbelief and sin, he looks at the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus and he's found a place to rest his internal hope, and he says, this now is the work that pleases God. It pleases God forever, and for you and I who have been traveling as childhood Christians, in my own case, almost 60 years now, again and again and again, God's been so good, that he's had to tear down the false foundations and bring me again and again to a place where the revelation of Jesus Christ is made known within my own innermost. How is it today then for you and for me? Do our hearts say amen? Are we satisfied with this finished work that the Lord Jesus did? Has the resurrection and the power of the resurrection revealed to you and to me what the Lord Jesus does and is doing in the eternal sacrifice of his dying work, even at this moment. Can you believe freely that your own sins and transgressions are forgiven, even when you yourself can't forgive yourself for some of the things you've done? Do you know in your innermost that there's a God who has taken your sins and transgressions and put them into the eternal sea of forgiveness and forgetfulness, And even now, as you sit here with perhaps thoughts going hither and yon, that he looks at you, not as you are, but through the dying work of his own son, and he's satisfied. And you can rest in the eternal forgiveness and grace and gospel that God brings. Is it revealed to your heart, as Peter speaks of it here? And now then... If this great grace is open to your heart and to my heart, what does it say? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts, in your ignorance. Does your heart say amen? Do you want to walk as God's own? Or does the righteousness of God and the perfection of God Press your heart down this night, or do you freely look upon a righteous God through his great redeeming love in his own Son, and see and want see his will and want to walk according to it? Is it your pleasure to do god's delight? Is sin a grievous thing to you, or is it a joyous thing from what Peter writes here? Sin becomes grievous to the converted heart. Sin becomes an unpleasant thing. The will of the parent to be pleasing to God, to walk in obedience, becomes the heart's longing and cry. We no more want to hurt God than we would want to hurt someone we love dearly. Or is it so that maybe there's a husband here tonight that loves to make his wife suffer, or his friends suffer. Isn't it clean contrary? Today, if someone would speak of walking in obedience, it's spoken of as self-righteousness or legalism. My dear friend, my dear fellow husband, is it legalism to love your wife? Or isn't your heart's desire toward her in all things? How is it, your wife, when your husband comes home Do you do the duties that you do because you have to? Or is it so that you want to? If so, then, in a natural way, we know a little bit what love is. Isn't it so much the more so in a spiritual way? That we would want to not fashion ourselves or live as we once did in our former lusts. But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation doesn't mean just talking, as it's so commonly considered today, but it means our life and living. Is it your heart's desire then, from when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed at night, to be one of God's own, to be honored, to be counted, worthy, of the great grace that he's offered you and that he carries you in? Or if it, is it grievous? Let us examine our own hearts in the light of this word. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, does that seem a contrary statement? Why would he say to the graced heart to pass your time? your are sojourning here in fear. How is it, dear fellow traveler? Do you know what Peter's talking about? Do you know what fear he means? I'd like to ask you wives who have the good fortune of having a man for your husband that spends himself for you, that's made you the queen of his castle, that has trusted you with everything he has, and yea, given you his whole heart, trust you implicitly and explicitly. When you look then at your own frailty, dear wife, do you sometimes fear that you will lose that trust? Do you sometimes feel that when he sees and gets to know what your heart is really like that he won't trust you anymore? And so it is, is it not, that when we have love and we know love, whether it be husband and wife or friends or dads and children, children and parents, the great fear we have is that we would lose it, is it not? And so, Peter gives a solemn warning. The love of God, the grace of God, the heart of God is nothing to toy with, dear fellow travelers. When God has given us something that the prophets of old have looked into, and the angels from heaven have desired to see, we're reminded that we should be sober that we should not toy with God's grace. The Old Testament is filled, and yea, history itself in our day is filled, with people who God has worked with, God has pleaded with, people who have rejected his love, trumped on his love. He has again and again sent prophets to talk to. He's sent servants to exhort. He's even sent angels from heaven to tend And man has rejected it. And when men have rejected it long enough, we see in the book of Revelations many hearts conditions in which the candlestick is removed and God goes away. Not because he's pleased to, but because he is righteous. Even as he is loving, he is righteous. So then, it's not a small warning that we're... Uh, warned with here, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus of of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and spot. So then when God has purchased and won us with an immeasurable price, when he himself has died to give us all that he could, and if we tromp on that love and on that grace, how long will God stand for that? Solemn warnings that we were purchased with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Here is in another amazing verse that this redemption plan, this planting of the incorruptible seed plan was already there before the first star shone. Isn't that an amazing thing? God saw already into today how hopelessly lost you and I were, and he framed up and prepared a way in which our house of faith could be established not on sand but on a rock, and that rock being his own work which was wrought at our behalf. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Yes, an eternal hope, founded not on our work or doing, but on the doing of the Lord Jesus Himself. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another, with a pure heart fervently. Here again we're shown how this way, the way to heaven, the incorruptible seed way, the new birth way, the way of conversion, is not something that can be done with our own hands. Have you with me tried to love somebody you hate, you just detest, and found you can't do it? It speaks of one of the requirements, one of the marks of being God's own, that in our innermost is an unfeigned or unpretended love of the brethren. Dear fellow traveler, does it abide in your heart? Can you, marvel of marvels, look in your innermost and find that there's a communion and union when you hear Paul write and Peter write? And James Wright, and Luther's writings, and Lestariuses, and so the ages through. An unfeigned love—it's there. You can't pretend it. And if it's not there, you can't pretend it either. A great heaven-sent gift. Is it yours? Is it God-given? And you know, with, know and experience it within your own heart. Doesn't it make you humble when you find it? Doesn't it make you want to know more and more closely that great gift of love, eternal love, not carnal love, but it's a love that surpasses carnal love? A union that you have with someone who you maybe don't even like, maybe who you can't even get along with, but there's a blissful unity. It's a witness to us, is it not? that something has happened in our innermost, something from outside. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, you notice what Peter says right after? There's a hyphen there, and it's a mark. The Finnish word is tunto a recognizing, a recognizing mark, or a mark of knowing if we are born again or not being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And how? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. A word that is unlike anything natural. Again, you can't acquire it by buying, you can't learn it by reading. Living faith is the revelation of Christ to a sinner's heart to a lost sinner's heart for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof fadeth away yes is it not that way and you have seen in your lifetime already perhaps great doctors of divinity great writers of many books, great leaders even in the religious world around us. But the flower fades, the grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. Now then the closing verse is before us. It went quickly, didn't it? This little these little words, short short words of, of, of Peters. But the closing words, aren't they beautiful? Does your heart burn within to find that Peter already in this first chapter closes with such powerful words as he does in the last verse? But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Is this enduring word of the Lord revealed in your heart in the reading of these words? Is this great gospel revealed even now to your own heart and preached to your own heart? Does your heart this night say amen? Thank you, Father, for your great grace. Thank you for making it known unto us fallen creatures, hopelessly lost and condemned, hopeless in this night and hopeless in that come. May it be... That each heart here tonight feels and knows and hears this gospel in their innermost hearts and can go forward from here trusting everything, everything of this life and everything of that to come into the hand of the Almighty who has begun his work in us and promises to finish it until the last breath is drawn. May this great grace be yours and mine. May it extend to your children and our children, to your children's children and our children's children, so that one day heaven won't be empty and that one day we would be with those who will... then in Jesus' name. Amen. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: Our services will continue Sunday morning with Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. and our worship service at 10.30 and again an evening service Sunday evening at 7 o'clock. And Lord willing, the visitors from Europe should be back in our midst for Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. And in closing, we'll sing song 288 from the small blue book And during the singing of the song, we'll carry a free will offering for the benefit of our church.